This call is being recorded. You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, guys, you know the drill here. It's Mondays, and if there's a way to sneak in some PFF perspective, we're going to do that with John Costco. Uh, obviously, a big weekend, busy weekend for John and all the folks over at PFF. Um, so we're going to sit down here today. We're going to get their thoughts here, and you guys are probably going to be a little bit surprised. I'm telling you where maybe some of the analytic of pro football focus, PFF, I should say, lined up with maybe this new regime here in Cleveland. So we'll check all that out. Without further ado from PFF, Mr. John Costco. John, uh, obviously draft weekend, but how's the family hold up? How, you know, kids, wife, everybody, the dog. We haven't seen tweets about the dog in a while, John. Yeah, things are going well. Uh, Quarantining uh day whatever it is and it's been for me work-wise doesn't change uh but uh obviously for the kids and the wife it's it's a lot different but they're doing well hanging in there dog's doing well uh and yeah so we're just kind of kind of trucking along here so uh it was nice to have a draft weekend that took a break from the normal routine of things for sure uh but yeah how, how, how have you been things going well what? with you guys we're here. I mean, everybody's kind of on like, you know, some weird hours. The kids are staying up late, but I mean, what are you supposed to do? I mean, without a finish line in sight, it's kind of hard to establish, you know, what the normalcy would be of going back to the normalcy. And like I was just telling you before, I think for some people we've, you're talking six weeks now. I think people have kind of just kind of like sort of settled in, so to speak. And, you know, this is what it is. And granted, we're not thrilled with it. We're not loving it, but you know, we'd love to get back, but you know, there's only so much you can do here without going yeah. to the kitchen to eat every freaking 10 minutes because that's becoming my big issue right now. Um, we'll take through the picks here. I guess we'll take them as they come here. Uh, John, there was really no wrong way to go at 10. All the tackles could play. Um, it was preference of, you know, what you liked or whatever. And, you know, one thing we got into, it's not like any of the top four guys and the options there were athleticism was a question mark. They all tested like pretty quality athletes. Obviously, you know, there was the off the charts of Tristan Wirfs here. Um Fell for the right. Andrew Thomas went one overall, in my opinion, was the best tackle. I mean, four overall was the best tackle in the class. You got to 10. You had your choice of three. So take us through the selection of Jedrick Wills from Alabama, John. Yeah, so obviously, you know, in the Browns' eyes, they got their top tackle in, in a lot of people's eyes. Um, and you ask anybody, and they're going to give you a different ranking of how these offense tackles were. Like, for me personally, I had Andrew Thomas five in this draft. I thought his – um, his technique needed a lot of work. I know from a grade standpoint that he graded extremely well. PFF, we had him as the number one overall tackle, but that's, you know, that, so, I, you know, that's Mike Renner who who does the draft guide, did the draft stuff. He does a fantastic job. If you guys haven't been over at pff.com to check, check out that stuff and, and get a copy of the draft guide, he, he did great work on that. And obviously studied up with these guys probably, more, you know, more than I did. Um, you know, I was look. I just basically looked at the top tackles because obviously knowing that the Browns needed that. But from a Jedrick Wills standpoint here, um, he was a guy that I, I really liked, you know, from the raw tools aspect, from a grading aspect, he was one of the uh, obviously graded out really well. He was our number two overall tackle on, on our big board. Um, and you couldn't have asked for in terms of how it played out. Um, better than what it did for the, for the Browns. Obviously, you could have maybe they could have finagled the board a little bit to try to trade back and whatnot. But you know, when you get your top tackle at that position, a specific need, um, you got to go for it. And I really like what he can do. And obviously, in the run game, 
Uh, he's a mauler there, and then in pass protection, he's very good as well. So um, this it was it went out perfectly for for how the Browns wanted it, um, and he he's going to be a very good player right off the bat, in my opinion. He's got that athleticism. He's going to be able to transition to the left, no problem, um, because of his athleticism. And one of the things that like we you know you kind of take into consideration, you look at when you look at what he is able to do at the combine, right? So combine numbers, everybody knows what those combine numbers are. You look them up, you can see, yeah, he ran a 5-0 whatever in the 40. Uh, he did, you know, whatever in the vertical jump. I think it was actually one of the best vertical jumps of all time at the off the tackle position. But um, I, I'm, if I can't, if I'm remembering that correctly, I'm not, I'm not actually positive. But what impressed me about his combine performance was just how he looked in all the drills that aren't, you know, charted in terms of your pure numbers. I thought it was by far the most impressive combine performance I've ever seen of an offensive tackle uh, since they've been like airing this stuff. And you can see every single drill that these guys do. The way he moved, the way he was able to get off the ground and on those those drills, the way he maintained his his stamina throughout those that rabbit drill where you're going back and forth and all that stuff. Unbelievable stuff. So uh, I think this is a guy that can can be that ten year starter. You know, they say always say that with off the stack position for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and I don't think he should have much of a problem transitioning from the right to left side. Uh, look, it's it, it's it's a question. That's all. It's basically what it is. It's a question until you see him do it. Obviously, you have to have some concern about whether or not he can do it. You're putting him into a great situation here. Um, even if he comes in as a rookie and you say he's oh well, he's only the fourth or fifth best offensive lineman on this unit. Well, that's okay. You paid for a big-time tackle. You have a center that you absolutely love. You have the linchpin of your offensive line at left guard. So it can be a process. And with him only being 20 years old, sure, there's room to grow as a player. Um, there's probably still some more finishing out of the body. You know, that that will come 20 years old. But the athleticism is there. Um, and, you know, for me, but then there are obviously top guys, you know, in this business of, you know, uh, you know, predicting the draft and those guys are thrilled with it. And yeah, by all means, you know, Alabama was in a situation where they could play him at a right tackle because they already had a left tackle. Uh, so, you know, and just saying they think the transition will be pretty seamless, you know, the lack of time, we'll see how it works out in that space. Obviously I already had a relationship with Joe Thomas. Joe's, you know, I already offered to continue that, you know, to offer him with any assistance he can along the way here. Um, and I thought the most interesting thing about the, the top 10 was just the quickness and basically the conciseness of it. It was just there, right. You're up. Okay, here's our guy. Next team. We're up. Here was there was no, you know no, nothing going on. No dancing around. It was just Bing. Get in. Get out. I don't know. Maybe if it was you know just some nervousness on front offices of let's make sure we get our guy because we have no idea how this whole thing's physically working through the internet. So let's get in. Make sure we got our guy. Everybody knows, and then we can start getting to work from there. But you know, look, if he was their top tackle, they didn't think they have a shot at him, and there he was at ten. It turns out to be an absolute no brainer. So now we roll into the second round here. And, you know, it, there's a couple – we'll get into the third round too here because there's been some fun stuff here from the bitter batter of some Browns fans. Um, Grant Elpit, look, Grant Elpit, and this is so similar to Greedy Williams in almost every way. Because um, I remember starting with these mock drafts early in the fall and, oh, well, Grant Elpit will never be there at 22. Yeah, well, hey, guys, what do you think about a possibility of him being there at 44? Um, great athlete. The size is there. You know, there were his issues of up and down play at LSU. Um, but you identified a need here. You already brought in two veterans, so you don't necessarily even have to start him from day one here. But a player like 
Delpit, and now you continue this LSU contingent that's going to hang out here in Cleveland with you know five, you know, five now the numbers up to here. You get a guy like Delpit, and if you're going to use him strictly as a free safety, it'll be more coverage. You won't have to get so you know, nervous or caught up in the tackling ability. But Grant Delpit, uh, obviously, with a trade down from 41 to 44, which did impress me because you had to think with all that time to think about it going into day two. Obviously, Delpit was pretty high on what they felt they wanted. And then you still, you know, basically play the guard game and say, well, can we still get him at 44 here? Able to, you know, recruit, uh, recruit more assets that way. They did 44 grand help at safety LSU. Yeah. So what's interesting is about, about the mocks and everything like that. Like a lot of the mock drafts, you couldn't get them in the, in the middle of the fourth, uh, second round. Right. So even if like our, like, you know, PFF, we had the, we implemented our new mock draft simulator, which is awesome. Um, we were able to replicate it to where you rep it replicated the first round and you could start at 33 with your team. Uh, I probably utilized that. I don't know, half a dozen times on Friday and not once could I get to Grant Delpit at 41, let alone 44. So uh, even our mock simulator was constantly saying that he was going to go in the top like three or four picks of the, of the second round. Um, it was, and, you know, obviously the Browns getting him not just 41, but 44 is, is phenomenal. And you look at how the board fell, right? So I think they probably had, um, you know, a number of players there that they liked. And so that's why you drive the draft uh, trade back from 41 to 44, because if you have a number of players you like um, really, and they're all maybe say bunched together in the same tier, you, you make that trade because you realize the value. It's like, Hey, we're not sure about types, some types of things. So, but what, with Grant Delpit, his, his ability is all in coverage, right? So um, he's not going to be the strongest of run defenders. He's he's a, he's adequate there. He's a, he's a very good pass rusher when he when was was healthy. Um, and you look at what his grade this year. So in as a sophomore, he graded out an eighty four point two, and in in defense coverage and an overall grade as a pass rusher is eighty six point eight. Uh, this year, it took, it it fell it free fell to sixty five point three overall and sixty six point five in coverage. Well, part of it is because he was injured, right? Take away the games where he got injured, which was obviously some of the biggest games in years in Auburn, Alabama, and then Ole Miss. His overall grade does go up significantly to seventy six overall, uh, and he missed nine tackles in those three games. So, all those numbers that say. You know, he's really struggled as a junior, uh, kind of come into context. He played a lot better, you know, outside of those three games where he was hurt. Uh, so his his play is, is much better. And his his ability and coverage, his instincts there, his ability to come from the deep from deep at a play in as a slot is going to be extremely valuable for the Browns uh, because he does have that ability to man, man you up uh, in the slot so you can have him as a versatile type piece there. Uh, kind of like what Demarius Randall was for the Browns who could – you know, transition from deep to the slot. Um, but this is a much more skilled player than what Demarius Randall has been. Uh, so if he can live up to that billing and play, you know, what we can expect him to be, this is an absolute steal for the Browns in the second round. Uh, you know, obviously he wants to say you want him to stay healthy. Uh, he does need to be improve as a tackler for sure. Uh, but at a second round value, that's a really good spot. You know, I mean, I was thrilled for it. He was the one I kept pushing for and everybody with the no, 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 no. And I, I, I'm i convinced. I think people watched that Alabama LSU game. And look, we all did as evaluators, what, 275 times with the amount of talent that was in there. And I think everybody watching the game for a specific player kept going back to Grant Elbit. Grant Elbit. And granted, look, Grant Elbit didn't have a great day against Alabama. 
Uh, there wasn't much talk about the playoff run where he didn't miss a tackle in two games there. It's funny how people basically cherry picked this. And like you said, with the three games of the injury, and then you radically, the grade changes, basically almost from a 64 to a 76. Um, it seemed like he, he got cherry picked. Um, certainly we're not going to complain about it now, but it, it was just funny how it, that path went for Delpit because it seemed like it was almost like over analysis with Grant Delpit. Yeah. Last four games of the year. So I know, I know PFF uh, Twitter account put out that he only missed, he didn't miss a single tackle in the, in the playoffs. He only missed one tackle the last four games of the year. So um, his tackling ability did improve uh, in that stretch. And if you think about it too, all season long, he missed seven tackles in coverage. It was just one the last eight weeks of the season. And that was in that Alabama game. So his ability as a tackler in the run game is where it's been problematic for him more so than in coverage. And what's most important for a safety anyways, is it in coverage. So yeah. It, and I, I, exactly. Yeah. And I've heard those Alabama guys are pretty good too. So yeah, that maybe, may be something maybe I, I, I didn't just draft one of them in my dynasty league or anything. So <laughs> um, guys during this pandemic here, and we'll get to more with John here in a little bit. Uh, it's the smaller businesses. These are the ones suffering the most here. Uh, I talk all about the, all the time about my friends over at Zabo Apparel. Brian and his family do a fantastic job. If you're looking for good Cleveland merchandise, Browns merchandise, Cavaliers merchandise, just a good quality product from good family. Obviously, Brian, a former veteran, two kids actively serving. ZaboApparel.com, S-Z-A-B-O. Uh, on Instagram, on Twitter, S-Z-A-B-O, Zabo Apparel. On, uh, like I said, Twitter, Instagram, John. I'm sorry, Brian and his team, fantastic job. Use the promo code uh, free ship here. Whatever you buy, you get it shipped to you free. Trust me, Zabo, it's where you want to be shopping. Then we'll dip into the third round here. Obviously, you know, some maneuvering around here and everybody wanted kind of to have a heart attack about that. And this is what kind of impressed me here is they walked into this draft with seven selections. They still made seven selections. They were nowhere near the seventh round anymore. What did they do? They added a third round pick into the 2021 draft. So now you have 10 assets there. It was a great job of maneuvering the today, the now, and maneuvering towards the future. Uh, you drop back a little bit here, and this is one where, I mean, you guys had to be, you know, at PFF where you had him rated and type of player he is. And I think some folks do get the Olivier Vernon vibe with Jordan Elliott because what do people do the first thing do? What are the stats? What are the stats? What are the stats? What are the stats? And he's not a guy that was going to kill the box score. Um, you need players that have an assignment and do it. Jordan Elliott is one of those players. But let's not mistake it. There's some athleticism to this big guy. Yeah, uh, that's that's one of the reasons why we do what we do. Because like from a, hey, did he have? Did he rack up a double digit sacks? No, he had seven the past two years. But what he can do is destroy offense alignment on a consistent basis, even if he wasn't finishing them with sacks. Uh, and that's where like the sacks can be misleading. You can you can be generating pressure on a consistent basis, um, but you're kind of at the mercy of a what the the play design was for the offense and if they're getting rid of the ball in two seconds, it's unless you're Aaron Donald, you're not getting to the quarterback in two seconds from the interior defensive <laughs> line. So, you know, so if you're, if you're still able to get this, you know, the constant pressure, he had 36 total pressures last year on 290 pass rush snaps. And he also beat that offensive lineman an additional 21 times. So he's, he was wrecking offensive linemen. His win percentage was phenomenal at 18%. And you look at, you look at the overall grades from from all defensive linemen this past year, you know, the interior defensive linemen, Chase Young was a different world or whatever, obviously, but the interior defensive linemen, he was number one as a pass rusher 
and as an overall, and his run defensive grade was 91.1. It, it's actually, actually what's funny is 91.1 run defense, 91.1 pass rush. So guy is, is a stud from a production standpoint in, in terms of just being able to generate pressure. Um, was he, was he racking up the, the sacks and the, the tackle for losses and stuff like that? No, but that's kind of part of the part on not his fault. It's more so the offense and how that, what was happening there and maybe the other, the rest of his team around him. So, uh, right. You said good athleticism, really good pass rush moves. Uh, he is going to be, I mean, this is an absolute steal. We had him as number 23 overall player in this draft and they got him at 88. Plus they picked up a third rounder in next year's draft because of this trade. I mean, that is an absolute win every day, all day. I don't care what his raw sack numbers say. Well, and the other thing is, is, you know, you put it into context of what he's going to be playing with here. Yeah, he beats the guy initially. Guess what? They're going to have to go left or right. There's going to be dudes there. There's going to be <laughs> dudes there to take care of that issue here. Um, and I love the fact here, and you, you could justify this selection here in the third round and said he walks in, he's a starting defensive tackle on your line. You don't even have to put that pressure on the kid here. You give him time to learn his craft here. Um, obviously, some maneuvering could easily go on with the ta- D-tackle room between 20 to 21 after the season here. But you get a chance for him to get his feet significantly wet here, get an idea just exactly what you're going to need from him. Just works out beautifully. Now, we're going to get to this one here, and we won't get into the whole LSU linebacker talk contingent here. I was a big fan of Jacob Phillips. I liked what he did. I, I love where he went here. And this was the best response because I dealt with this all of Saturday morning and everybody blah, 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 blah. And then finally one guy quote tweeted me and he says, Jeff, you've dealt with for two years, people bashing Joe Schobert for the amount of tackles he misses. And they go ahead and they draft Jacob Phillips. And the one thing Jacob Phillips doesn't do is miss tackles, John. Yeah. So this is an interesting pick just because he wasn't at all on my radar for what the Browns are looking for at the linebacker position. But what you look I don't know at if any of us knew what they really wanted from the linebacker position. We still may not know what they truly think of the linebacker position. Right. You know, I mean, they got obviously really young at the position with, with you know, Taki Taki and Mac Wilson there. Um, they, they are pegging Jacob Phillips as, as a will. They have Taki Taki as a will. Um, these guys can fly around, essentially. So uh, they can they can, you know, Jacob Phillips was was excellent in run defense last year. Uh, his coverage grade was, was mediocre, uh, but that's utilization in the linebacker position. And, and the linebacker position is an off ball position. And if you're the way you get your grades in college kind of are dictated a lot based on what, how you utilize. Um, but you look at his, his raw tools and stuff like that. Very good athlete. Um, you know, he jumps out of the roof. Uh, his change of direction is a bit suspect, but he's a guy that you can, I mean, he can get more more flexible at the next level to be able to get better at that change of direction stuff. And he's a guy that, you know, while he didn't grade out at an elite level, I mean, it was a sixty five point six in our in our system. Seven, his run defense grade was was really solid at seventy six. Um, he's a guy I think that can develop and more so because of his size and speed and his just pure athleticism. Um, and and you know, you look at him on tape, and it's like. Uh, you know, it's not like he got targeted a bunch in coverage so that he couldn't rack up the forced, you know, the, the, the forced incompletions or anything like that. Um, and he was an extremely sure tackler. So uh, he, he's a guy that I think they, they want to try to develop and have the raw athleticism tools to be able to do that with. 
Um, you know, death taxes, LSU athletes isn't a bit, essentially a bad way to go about business here. Um, not that this pick was confusing, but we had talked about this. We weren't exactly sure how the tight end group was going to fit, you know, as far as what they needed here, which was, you know, obviously, you know, the importance of being able to get the Austin Hooper situation handled as quickly as they did here. Uh, they go ahead and start day three. And now this is where I was a little confused. I, I mean, I could, I thought they were going to continue to go with more defense. Zero issue with what they did though on day three and the players are selected here. Tight end Harrison Bryant. Um, still some room to grow. Um, first thing I did is I went and you know checked testing numbers. He actually tested quite similar athletically to Austin Hooper, although Austin, Austin a little bit bigger. Um, you know, still some work to come on a block uh, as a blocker here. I think it was the first tight end in NCAA history, and I want to say seven or eight years that actually eclipsed the thousand yard mark here. So you bring him in here, and again, here it is. It's a guy that you think has talent, and you know, with what they've done and what we've seen today from David Njoku getting the fifth year option, it's a guy they like. And we've heard this a couple of times, you know, when they spoke, didn't think he was going to be there. You get him in. And again, here is another situation where you're not going to have to, you know, and this was always the case here with the Browns is, oh, that's great. Can we pencil him in for 70 receptions and a thousand yards in his rookie year? Again, with a guy like Harrison Bryant, you're not going to have to do this. You bring him in here. You let him get his feet wet. You, you know, learn some system here. You know, so you get a player like this who, you know, get open, you know, run your route like you're supposed to. You get open. Baker will throw you the ball. Yeah. Right. You know, what's funny is is immediately when he gets drafted, it's like, well, there goes David Njoku. Like, and David Njoku wasn't a first-round overall – wasn't a first-round pick or something like that four years ago. Like, come on. Still Let's, not even 24. Still right. not even 24. So it's like they're, he's still in their plans, and obviously they just picked up his fifth-year option. So he's clearly in their plans for this year and perhaps beyond. Harrison Bryant is a, third, a day three pick for a reason. Um, he has average athleticism and he's, he is undersized at a position, but he is a guy that was obviously incredibly productive at FAU. Uh, you don't just walk in to any NFL team and especially at the tight end position and produce from day one. Uh, you know, essentially there are two tight ends in NFL history. I think that had over a thousand yards and 10 plus tight touchdowns in their rookie seasons. That was Mike Ditka and Rob Gronkowski. You're, nobody's coming in there at the tight end position to be able to produce. Uh, so when you look at what this tight end group now can be, is that obviously Harrison Bryant can play, I don't know, 15 to 20% of the snaps at that when they need two, you know, three tight ends out there. Maybe they want to give those guys, those top guys, a breather. So he comes in there as tight end number two um, and, and plays a handful of snaps to grow and develop into that role because tight end is extremely difficult to learn at the NFL level, because not only are you having to know all the pass concepts, you have to know all the run blocking concepts and how to, how to pass protect as well. So it's a perfect situation for him. And the fact that he was able to put up 90 plus grades every single year as a receiver in at FAU is really, really saying something. And this is a guy that I absolutely loved in college, and then he backed it up at the Senior Bowl by just destroying defensive backs and and t- linebackers and safeties in one-on-one coverage in those one-on-one drills. Like he did not lose; he won every single rep in those in those one-on-ones uh, at the Senior Bowl. We grade every single one of these these practices there, which is the only practices we ever do. But they are kind of telling in terms of what you can, you know, in terms of a projection uh, because you're being asked to do NFL things, and he was asked to do NFL things and did really well at them. So um, this tight end group got a lot better. It gives, it gives Kevin Spansky a lot more versatility with that group. 
uh, and they should be uh, really set for the future at the position with some really good talent in the group. And, and what it shows you about him with the, you know, the athletic, you know, concerns is, you know, obviously he's running the routes to the letter. He plays with instinct. He plays with intelligence. Um, that's how, you know, guys who are not superior athletes succeed. And that's what you look for. And let's remember, we're all talking about a bunch of nerds here. What are they going to see? Wow. The athleticism wasn't there, but man, this tape. Uh, so, you know, uh, Harrison Bryant. That's Ohio State defensive backs, how he did against them. I mean, he had some insane. I mean, that's Ohio State. They have it all NFL secondary, and he was he was making plays on them. No doubt about it. Harrison Bryant here. We're going to get to a couple more selections uh, with John Costco here on Locked On Browns. Uh, you know, ask John for a highlight, too, of the undrafted free agent group here. Uh, if you're not subscribed to Locked On Browns, guys, by now, come on. After the weekend we've had, make sure you're taking care of that. If you are not following on Spotify, come on, take care of that. Uh, the ra- uh, five-star ratings, the written reviews, keep those coming. Um, it helps the show, helps the growth here. Uh, something you can do for me that don't cost you a dime here. Uh, you know, incredible weekend for us. I want to thank you all for being a part of it. Uh, you know, from you know, probably about you know early morning Thursday, still up until now, uh, we've been in iTunes top 200 the entire weekend here. I I know a lot of this is just because you folks were just looking for something sports related. Um, but glad everybody could con- uh, basically come and convene here. So on iTunes, on Spotify, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following on Spotify. Five-star ratings, written reviews, guys. Please and thank you. And again, John, now we go down to this here, you know, uh, in, in the fifth round, offensive lineman Nick Harris here. Um, I've already – remember I used to call Joe – I used to call Joe Schobert the crossing guard. Nick Harris looks like every late 90s ID checker at a club. That's just the type <laughs> of duty he is. It's just the type of build he's got. But he can back it up. Um down to senior bowl, everybody. Oh, tough kid, a little undersized. You know, then went to combine, looked real well doing things here. You, you know, when everybody will, oh, it's going to be guard and center. Look, you're not sure. Um, you know, you're certainly not sure yet on Wine Teller. You're not sure yet on Drew Forbes. You've got one hole left on this offensive line. And what this says with the selection and Nick Harris is, is, hey, we may have a future at the center position here. But, hey, if we need to, we may possibly have a right guard here. Yeah, so this is an absolute perfect fit for the scheme. And I really – I don't think he's going to be a guard at the next level. I know that, that there's a possibility and all there, but how many guards do you know that are under six foot one? I really I really don't know if there are any in the NFL. He is small. The polar he's got opposite the, of Kevin Zeitler and Wyatt Teller. Yeah, right, exactly. So, like, he's, he's a shorter guy. Obviously, he's got the weight to him or whatever. He's a stocky dude, but – um, I think from a, from a, I think he's only going to be a center in the NFL. I could be wrong. Who knows? But, um, he's, you know, it might be something where, uh, you know, if, if they don't think they can keep JC Cheddar long-term after his contract's up or whatever, and they think they have something here, he could replace him or that something that JC could move to guard or something. Cause I think, um, I don't, I don't think that Harris can play guard, but I don't know. I'm, I've been wrong plenty of times. So, um, what he is, though, is a, is a perfect fit to the scheme because you look at his outside zone, his wide zone runs and stuff like that, Top is a top four graded center in college football the past two years. Uh, ec- excellent grades in that respect. He was a number one pass blocking center in true pass sets last year as well. Uh, so nobody was better in that regard. So you're looking at a guy that was extremely productive. He gave up one pressure at true pass sets in, in, his, in his senior year at Washington. One out of 100, 149 pass set so that's really excellent work there um so perfect fit guy that was super productive starter all four years at at uh at washington and 
I mean, he didn't, he didn't was a full-time starter at his, his freshman year, but he did play 493 snaps. So uh, obviously great, great numbers there. And then just, I mean, graded extremely well every single year in terms of what he was asked to do, especially for what the Browns are going to be looking to ask him to do. So, um, you know, great. I think you can't ask for a better pick at what was 160 or something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, guy, guy that you can develop and maybe take over long-term as a starter, as a center. Uh, again, you know, I wasn't sure if they were even going to you know, entertain here with the amount and obviously, you know, keep Chris and Hubbard, Chris Hubbard, like they did and the amount of guys in house here. But, you know, in for everybody, remember, it's 55 roster spots now. It's not 53. So there's going to be some sort of competition here where there are, you know, room is made for two more guys. And, you know, traditional numbers that we have a certain roster spots may not exist anymore. Um, so, you know, with the, uh, obviously the selection of Harris, they were able to make sure that the competition they're going to have, at least at right guard and the rest of that offensive line, is going to be a big one, a hardy one here. Pick 187 in the sixth round. Now, normally – when you get a guy with this type of athletic profile at pick 187, he's not from Michigan. He's not from a power school. It's usually East Baptist, West Texas Tech, and nobody's really ever heard of the guy. He's never really taken anybody. You know, he's never really, you know, taken a lot of big games, not a lot of production to him, not a lot of production to Donovan Peoples-Jones in his career, obviously, in Michigan. But what you're looking at here is a game-breaking athlete, and he's going to come in here where he's not going to be asked to do much, so you can just kind of athlete him and use him how you choose there. But me, I, I like the pick, and it, it, and he, I know he he's getting a bad rap because Michigan put all of this together like it was. Oh yeah, we're back, baby! And the one thing they never did in that entire time, Jim Harbaugh, was get a quarterback. So none of it ever really looked like it should have. And it, it's a shame you see these quality five star athletes that should succeed just because you know you can get by on athleticism in college. As the closer you get to college, you know, pro is when it starts to it don't matter anymore technique and all that other stuff. You know, usually can win out athletes or athletes. He's interesting here. And look, you got a guy with some returnability. Um, and, and you didn't have much else in that room. You have Damian Ratley, who you like as a special teamer, got some playing time. Hodge, who you like as a special teamer, got playing time. More these Mostly because they had to. Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, sixth round, 187, John. Yeah, um, you do not find players of this caliber athlete in the sixth round unless, like you said, they are from podunk school from – you know, of the blind or, or basically had like major red flags in terms of like, they, they, you know, did, they punched their, their pregnant girlfriend or something like that. He did none of these things. You know, he went to Michigan. He, he was a, as far as everybody knows, was a, you know, standout person and, um, you know, good citizen. And it, what, what it was is that he just did not produce at a, at a high level. When you look at, when you split up his, his production the past few years, um, in 2018, he actually had a, a grade of 85.1 against single coverage, um, but he only had you know 50 percent of his balls catchable. So he made the most of his his targets at least in 2018. They changed the offensive system for 2019, um, and things didn't go that well for the entire Michigan offense. Uh, so it was just one of those things where they never had that consistency. You look at what he was able to do. He just he dropped seven passes in his career. I mean, what do you what do you want? That's sure-handed. Uh, dude can jump out of the roof, can fly down the field. Uh, I think he can, you know, he can develop into something pretty pretty good for the Browns. He averaged eight. There are three point eight yard or three point three eight yards per route run when against single coverage, which is a phenomenal number for for a college wide receiver with, you know, 
with nobody throwing him the football, nobody at least quality throwing him the football. So um, he is a guy that can take the top off the defense, uh, make explosive plays with balls in hands, and uh, he's shown it at least to be able to make contested catches with um, with getting separation uh, and making big plays. So it is obviously he needs a lot, he needs work and he need, he doesn't got to develop that consistency and whatnot. But that, I mean, you can't ask for in terms of a, a pure athleticism projection thing in the sixth round. It's I mean that's a that's an excellent excellent value there. And let's, you know, not to mention that while the kid was going through all this at Michigan, he was rocking out a 3.9 GPA. So, you know, shows that a young man, even going through some crappy times, is showing his commitment to the detail and the things that need to be done here. Um, And look, you know, it's, and guess what? If it doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. It costs you nothing. It, 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 so, you know, if you're going to gamble, gamble on, you know, big, fast, really, really fast kids who, you know, have all athletic traits, jumping ability as well. Uh, John, the undrafted free agent group here. and Brent Sobleski talked about this today. Maybe this was part of their thinking of where they were getting out of the seventh round is we can still have this money here now and we can hopefully, you know, give larger chunks of change to a couple of these guys that aren't going to go undrafted that we have our eyes on. Obviously, A.J. Green at Oklahoma State was the big one for them. Uh, Alex Taylor, South Carolina State. Um, you know, and me and Pete were joking last night. Who's the guy hanging around Liberty? Who's the guy? Who's the guy with the Liberty connection? Who's the Alonzo Highsmith to this Liberty connection that right. seemed to be going on here? But some thoughts here on the undrafted free agent kids, John. Yeah, I think you look at um, AJ Green. Obviously, he's the guy that they paid big money for um, to get. I, which is interesting because like size is good, but athleticism is kind of mediocre. Um, but it, what he did do is pick off Baker Mayfield in, in Baker's senior year. Um, he, he did do that in their game. Um, he had fine grades, 70, you know, mid seventies and, and then past coverage, um, did force, uh, nine incompletions, um, only missed three tackles in coverage. So it's not like he was, he wasn't super productive, but he wasn't also a big liability for, for Oklahoma state. Um, what you're saying something in the big 12, a lot of those, those cornerbacks in the big 12 are liabilities, uh, you can say the same thing about the other uh, Big 12 cornerback they picked up in Jamison Houston, who who did break up not, uh, 12 passes um, and wasn't a huge liability with the grade in the 70s. Um, on the offensive side of things, with that Alex Taylor kid out of South Carolina State, we actually did do grading on him because he was obviously uh, talked about as an NFL prospect and, um, you know, in the FCS, he was fine in, in pass detection. He wasn't he wasn't great in terms of what you'd want to see in terms of, of an FCS prospect at that, but he would obviously has the tools and the, and the size to be maybe to develop long-term. He did give up uh, 11 total pressures his senior year there. So um, the other, the other prospect that, you know, might actually be pretty good in terms of long-term is, is the quarterback and Kevin Davidson uh, out of Princeton, obviously he's going to be a bright guy, but, and we graded all the Princeton games. He had a 91.5 grade there. Um, didn't put the ball in harm's way, uh, threw a lot of big-time throws of 24 and only six turnover-worthy. Um, I'm not saying he's going to replace Baker Mayfield as, as as a quarterback or anything, but he's a guy that, uh, for a developmental quarterback, you really couldn't ask for you know maybe a better project there uh, to develop. He's gonna, obviously going to be smart, um, and he you know took care of the ball and, and operated the system that he was working at at Princeton really well. 
Yeah, no, no doubt, and interesting. And you knew somehow, some way, there was going to be some some sort of Ivy League influence here. It, it, you just couldn't resist it. They had to do that. They had to go that route here. And the Ivy League actually had a couple of guys here. Uh, before we start to you know let you go here, John, just some thoughts uh, uh, on the draft overall. I mean, we've had some where you know, obviously Green Bay. You know, we'd love show your work. I'd love to see what you were thinking there, Green Bay. Um, the Raiders, who decided to go ahead and grab a whole bunch of wide receivers for a quarterback who doesn't want to throw the ball, you know, further than twelve yards down the field. Just give me some overall thoughts here over the three days, John. Yeah, so Packers are an interesting one because I think what they're thinking is they, they so they brought in Matt Lafleur to run that 49ers offense, um, and they just got trounced twice last year by those 49ers, obviously, and most you know most uh, notably in the NFC Championship game, um, and they're trying to replicate what the 49ers did, but almost in the wrong way where. They went with a big bruising running back who can't change directions for the life of him, nor can he get up to speed quickly. So, like, if they're, if he's trying to replicate maybe what the Titans are doing with Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry at least has, like, quick explosion to get to the line. A.J. Dillon doesn't have any of that. Um, and it's not like they took, like, other than that, like, I mean, that, that pick is obviously, I think, a bad one. But other than that, it's not like they took – bad players. Obviously, I think Jordan Love is a big-time reach for them. They just didn't give Aaron Rodgers the help that he would need from the offensive side of things to uh, really, you know, maybe be innovative on offense and and just get better there. Um, You look at the AFC North. I think the AFC North on a whole just got a lot better this weekend. Uh, The Ravens, you know, we're, we're down on the Ravens for taking a Hey, running back in the second round, even though if it's J.K. Dobbins and everybody loves J.K. Dobbins because he was an Ohio State guy, um, still when you're taking when you're taking that player there, uh, there are a lot better players on the board and better value positions. But they still had a really excellent draft. Patrick Queen's a good player. Justin Matabuki is a really good player. Malik Harris Harrison is a perfect fit for that defense. Um, and then James Proach and, and Geno Stone in the sixth and seventh rounds are, in my opinion, are really good values there because I think those guys can play in the league. Um, obviously, what the what the Bengals did and getting Joe Burrow that instantly vaults them into you know contention type you know in terms of the AFC North, um, and they put a lot of good pieces around him. And then the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think they got a really good player in Chase Claypool. Um, they know how to draft wide receivers there. We've seen over the years. Uh, that guy's a, he can get, win at contested catches. He's big and fast, and so he's going to cause a lot of problems. Um, and then they ha- they made some good picks in the, in the day three with Antoine Brooks and Anthony McFarland. They're going to be uh, something that, like year in, year out, Pittsburgh's, Pittsburgh and Baltimore, they just draft well, and they're going to be problems for Cleveland for years to come. Just and it, Nothing's going to be changing there. They do need to probably find some type of long-term answer for uh, Ben Roethlisberger, but um, at least this year, they're they're still going to be a, a good team. Well, of course, they took Anthony McFarland and they took Antoine Brooks Jr. Those were guys that were very high in the world of Jeff. So, you know, they, <laughs> what goes on here? These teams in the AFC North take the players that I usually think pretty highly of here. Um, it's been a blast here, John. League wise, closing wise, we got four o'clock coming up here today. Um, I should say four oh one, not four o'clock, four oh one here. Um, you think the Browns are in on anything? You, you, you think there might be anything now after the post-draft now where they're going to go back look? You know what? Maybe maybe we like this a little bit more than we did a couple days ago. Well, so they're probably going to look at – they don't have to wait until four. 
because they've made so many picks or, or, or draft signings or whatever that they're not getting anything for com, you know compensatory picks. So they could do it now, but players are going to wait because they're going to see what what teams are going to be offering when that four o'clock window hits or whatever. Um, but what the Browns could potentially go after some more edge because I think they're going to need to. Um, you know, this, they just need more depth there. They might go after like a Nigel Bradham in the linebacker room just to get a veter- another veteran presence there. I think that might be needed. Um, I would look again more at the, you know, doing something with the the slot cornerback position. I know that I, I just think that they need more there just to make sure that they what they have is good and having a good uh, depth and quality there. Cause I think what, what wins on defense isn't star power so much. It's more about limit eliminating weak links. And I think right now you still have a weak link on the linebacker core. Um, even if you have these, the confidence that these guys are going to take a step forward and as a, you know, sophomores or second years, you still don't know. And I think with the uncertainty there, if you have a liability in the linebacker position, um, they're going to get shredded by tight ends and running backs in the, in the past game, if these guys can't step up. So I think you want to get make sure that you get some quality veterans there and whatnot. So, um, in the defensive side, I think you're just looking for for some quality depth. Uh, offensive side, you know, maybe maybe a wide receiver three again. Even with you know, obviously with Donovan Peoples Jones, there's a reason he's a six round pick. He's going to need to do some developing. I don't know if you want to trust him just right yet off the bat as a you know on your wide you know third wide receiver in those you know when you're going shouting out there in eleven personnel. So. Um, and I think you need to make sure that you have better depth there. Maybe a Rashard Higgins comes back. I think that would be, I mean, that'd be a great, great third wide receiver for the team because he knows, you know, the team and he has good chemistry with Baker. So, uh, well, it'd be interesting to see what they do, but I, I, I don't know if it, if they're going to be really prioritizing anything, but they probably have to wait because players are waiting for other teams knowing about the compensatory uh, window here. Um, you know, the thing with Higgins, it was weird. Like all weekend long, he's out like tweeting at the guys the Browns drafted. So I mean, it almost seemed like, well, I mean, do you know something we don't? Because you know, normally a guy who's just a street free agent, you know, you're not usually celebrating, you know, the work of your oh, I didn't former know he was doing employer. That. That's that kind of funny. That's really funny. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, big Jed. He was really excited they drafted Jedrick Wills. Yeah, no, very active all weekend long, and it certainly sounded like a guy who was. <clears throat> still part of this franchise. Uh, folks, if you are not following John by now, make sure you take care of that at A-J-O-H-N, Costco, K-O-S-K-O-3. Uh, on Twitter here, uh, or through over at PFF, uh, John and the guys. Uh, it just continues to grow here. Um, and you guys made everybody's lives mad now because now we had like seven draft simulators to work with. So everybody got to have a lot of fun with all of those. Um, and obviously yours, your guys brought some more different to it as far as like percentages and things like that, which was pretty cool. Um, obviously PFF, I was going to throw a little analytic twist into something here. I oh, uh, yes. wouldn't expect less from you guys, but you, know, of course, of course, of course, of course. Um, so guys, make sure you're checking out everything through PFF. Um, guys do a great job. And it's just, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a more advanced way of looking at things. And, you know, like this franchise does, you take every drop of information that you can possibly have to assume and create decisions. I mean, not assume, but create decisions, make decisions based on all the information at hand here. Uh, the show itself at Lockdown Browns. You guys know the drill, all lowercase. Um, follow back account. DMs are always open. Me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. DMs are open over there as well. Uh, anything you guys want to put into the show, like I keep telling you right now, I got nothing but time here. So we certainly got things to work into these. Um, and again, thanks everybody. Uh, you know, crazy weekend. Uh, you know, a lot of activity. You know, everybody. You know, coming flooded to the show here. 
it's the favorite. It's you know my favorite weekend of the football season until I can start talking about January football games with this franchise. We'll see. Maybe that'll take some uh, you know some change over there. But again, everybody, thank you for everything. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.